Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Depends on where you are, I guess. Or good night. Uh, or good night, whichever it is around the world. It's a real privilege to be with you, uh, whatever time zone and whatever place you are in the world right now. So uh, this is a, this is always a joy and delight to be able to be uh, with my colleague, Mike, and uh, with my other colleague, Liz, uh, East Coast Mike, who's in outside of uh, up, upstate New York, and uh, Liz, who is in England. And so we have kind of an interesting perspective, maybe, that's a little different than a lot of folks. We get a little different uh, world, and I'm on the West Coast uh, in the United States. So um, lest you don't know much about the United States, the East Coast and the West Coast really are different planets. Uh, they're not just different places. So uh, we have very different views on what looks out there. So today we want to just talk a little bit about how do you navigate all this, with, particularly with your kids, when I say this, meaning all of the angst and the anxiety over the COVID, the new Delta variant. Uh, we were there, now we're not there. We thought we had a whip, you know, we thought we, we were on the other side of dealing with COVID, but now we're not on the other. So now we're trying to get people back to work, back to school. What about the kids? What about the children? How are you navigating that with them? How are you helping them to deal with this emotionally as we engage to, you know, continue to try and re-engage into becoming community and becoming society, being functional? What does that look like and what is happening and how can we maybe give you some ideas of what to do with this emotionally as we uh, spend a lot of time working in that area? So, Michael, what are your thoughts as we set this up to have some discussion today? Parent, parents are going to be observing their children in how they respond to the world as they perceive it in one of the five emotional systems. But as we begin this conversation, one of the key issues is to see how much of your children's response is actually a reflection or an extension of your own response. Your children may be feeling tremendous fear about going back to school, but that's actually a pipeline from the parents' fear about their child going back to school. Right. Right. I'm not saying that you're at fault for that. It could be very legitimate. It could be extremely accurate, or it could be completely unfounded or some mix in between. But in dealing with your child's feelings, you'll also be dealing with your own feelings. So some of what we're going to recommend in terms of some strategies and some techniques about how helping your child feel less of a powerful emotion or more of a, too mild of an emotion is also going to pertain to how you're experiencing the world as well. Your family is a unit. And though you have individual tastes and, and different perspectives and ideas, you actually function in an interrelated way. So we're not accusing we're not challenging, we're not demanding, we're simply guiding what you're going to do to help your child, you're going to do to help yourself. And what's fascinating uh, about this is uh, I want to also encourage you to think through who you have in your home 
And what I mean by that is children who have not come through puberty are going to respond very differently emotionally than those who have are in the process of uh, in puberty and moving through puberty. Prior to puberty, we know that what children think concretely. That's why that kind of learning is so critical for that time frame in their lives. As they move through puberty, they have the ability to begin to think abstractly, which then is to be able to bring together those concepts of faith and love and trust and all those things that they can do abstractly versus concretely when they're younger. I think there's a, there's a, uh, a kind of a misnomer in uh, a lot of culture, and particularly, I think, in the United States, where we tend to treat younger children as little adults, which I believe you're doing a, a disservice to them emotionally because they cannot think that way. They don't respond that way. Um, this past week, I, I heard a, a really good uh, four, four basic letters that I think might be a good place for us to jump off here that represent uh, a way to be able to begin to engage in trying to figure out what's going on in your kid's life, your child's life. There are four, four words that I just, and I really liked it. Uh, one was number one, stop. I like that. Take the time to just stop out of all of the media, out of all of the activity, out of all the drama, all that stuff that's coming in, just stop. And the second one is look, look at your child, observe what's going on, pay attention to what's happened. And then the third one was listen, just listen to what they're saying, listen to the words that they're using, listen to the dynamic that's going on there because you're going to learn very quickly, as Mai said, maybe what's going on is they're just, if you will, I don't want to use a bad word, but channeling what you're feeling and what's going on in your life. See if that's what's going on. And then the last one is ask. Ask them. Get inside their little heads or their, their older heads to find out really where, what's going on. Is it, are, are they fearful? Are they anxious? Are they happy? Are what, what is actually going on within that framework within their, their minds? But I think that's a really good place to, to jump off. You're gonna have a very difficult time if you're gonna assume that you know how your child is responding to all this. So stop, look, listen, ask, figure that out and take that time. But the first one I think is pretty critical because we are so busy in our life and we're trying to figure out how to make all this work. We're going, 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 going. It's like, time out. You can do that. Okay, wait, before, before so we race on, Mike, let's stop. Okay. <laughs> the no. One critical question for extremely driven families is how do you really do that? How can you just stop? Uh, now, yeah. here's a technique, and this may seem like from way out in left field, but I actually do this 
and I've done it for many, many years. And the benefits of stopping momentarily are incredibly rewarding. Here's what I mean by stop. You're driving somewhere, you're fighting traffic, everybody's in a seatbelt, they're in their car seats, you're racing to get there on time, you pull into a parking space, and before you open the first door, say to everyone in the car, five seconds, just five. I know we're late, five seconds is not gonna change anything. Ready, we're gonna stop. Now we go. Just that amount of time. It gives everybody a chance to just breathe, right. to just pause. Right. And you don't have to quit everything and get out right. and, and yank your children off the team and force them to go to bed early. It's not about a no, major not break. You're not creating no. a precipice where they where you you disconnect everything in life for a right. retreat to go away in the mountains for five days. It's not that no. when Mike right. talks about stopping as a discipline, it is to be able to say for just a moment, right? Instead of pedaling as fast as you can, throwing open the doors before the cars even stop racing at breakneck speed. So your heart is constantly engaged in hyperdrive. Be able to say, folks, kids, mom, dad, we're going to take just five seconds. My family starts a meal with prayer. You don't have to pray. Before everybody sits down and starts grabbing the food off the plates and wolfing it down as fast as possible, you can build a discipline. We call it grace. You can call it timeout. I don't care what you call it. Get everybody in a seat, hold hands. I know they're sanitized properly. Just look at each other and say, I'm glad you're here. Now you eat. That's a stop. That's what we mean by a stop. Before right. you jump into bed, instead of screaming at your kids to brush your teeth, go do the hair, on and on, get your clothes ready, stop. Sit at the edge of the bed. Some families stop and pray. Some families don't. But stopping just before you get into bed, you're safe. Right. It's okay. That's a stop. And what's so critical about that is do not underestimate for one moment that your older children, your teenagers, the young men and women in your house, even if you have maybe some that are a little older that are living with you, please do not underestimate how critical that aspect right now is for their lives of where you stop and help them understand they are safe. This is a safe place. Yep. Because we know from, this, from, from all the study, of, particularly of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, number one in that is what? Is security, safeness. Right. Second is belonging. So those two coupled together are so critical to help. Doesn't matter how old or young your child or your son or daughter is. Those two pieces. And when you stop and help them understand this is safe, you're okay. It's a good place. 
Yep. I work with men, uh, young men all the time who grew up in environments that were not safe. They never experienced that. I'm here to tell you that the trauma that causes, particularly in a time frame like right now, where there's so much fear and anxiety going on, is incredibly difficult for those young men to be able to navigate. So that's what I endeavor to do so many times is give them a safe place. Yeah. Stop. You're safe. It's good. You'll be fine. Nothing's going to happen here right now. Okay. You can't guarantee things, obviously, but to give them that ability to be in that kind of environment is incredibly, you know, it's so, it's so incredibly important to, to their, their mental health so that they know that. And it seems like you would not be able to get your kids to stop, but, but they will, they will (laughs) at your instruction. So yesterday we were doing an activity uh, in an evening with about 20 young children. And we were at a local Creek behind one of our schools fishing. Most of the children had never fished in their lives before the, in that particular Creek, there's some gobies and little tiny minnow fish. There's a few perch, maybe a large mouth or a small mouth bass, not nothing big. We're not talking fishing in the ocean for, for anything huge. These are little, little tiny fish. And when a child catches a fish, it's two and a half inches long. They want their picture taken. Just absolutely amazing. We had an older gentleman who used to be a fishing boat charter captain out on the West coast. And uh, he's since retired. He's had some physical problems. He he still has his boat, but it's parked in his yard. This guy is an expert fisherman. He's real laid back. Some of these kids, they, they would lose the worm. The second the, the, the bobber and the hook hit the water, a fish would take it off. They would come running up breakneck speed with their pole, with their bobber and their hook dangling, flying around and come up to Steve and say to Steve, I need a worm. I need a worm. I need a worm. I need a worm. And I heard Steve just simply say, stop right now. I don't want that hook to go into my finger. And every single child stood stock still. So they can do it. They can do it. And we can go on to other techniques. And Steve would take the hook. He needs thread of a worm on. And then he'd let it go. And they would be ready to tear off at breakneck speed. And he said, wait, wait. He'd let it go. And he said, now you can go. And it was very interesting. It changed the entire demeanor of the event. Some of our most overactive, hyperactive kids, when they realized there's a hook that could go into Steve's finger. It matters if I stop something in Steve's voice. He would just say, stop right now. And they did. So we're going to go on to other techniques, but this first one of stop just five seconds, take a breath. We're going to be five seconds late, but it doesn't matter. So, so use that. If you haven't mastered Anything else we ever say? <laughs> this one is it. <laughs> learn how to stop. Yeah. Just for a few seconds. Yeah. And then go on to the next step, which was. Oh, the next one is look. <laughs> look. Look. <laughs> look. What am I looking for? Am I looking for something? Yeah, I am. I'm looking at my child, my young. My son or daughter, I am observing 
you know, another word for look is observing. I'm watching and I have, I'm, I've stopped so I can see what is it they're doing. Are you paying attention to mannerisms that maybe are new that you've never seen before? Um, are they, did they never play with their hair? And now all of a sudden, every time they're sitting alone, they're twirling their hair. Or the, you've, never noticed, you've never noticed because you haven't been looking, but now all of a sudden you notice that they're sitting there rubbing their fingernail all the time. Or they're doing some other kind of physical mannerism that, that is really new. So observing and watching and looking and seeing what's going on as they are living life. Are you paying attention? Is there, has their countenance changed? Did you have a young, did you have a son or daughter that their countenance really was for the most part fairly, you know, uh, they were, they were smiling a lot. There was a, a pleasant look on their face and now they're like, they're like this kind of focused all the time. And that's, that's a very different look. That's what I mean about stopping and looking now and paying attention to what's going on. And then, then that takes us down the road, but observing observation, I, and Mike knows this. I mean, I'm a sociologist by profession and, and by just who I am. I spend so much time just watching people because we know that anywhere from upwards to 80%, even more than that, is nonverbal communication of what people give you. And your kids are giving you that. You know, they are giving you a window into what's going on. Just look and think through what was it they used to look like? Do they look the same way? Are they responding the same way to the kinds of things that are, I'm saying to them? Or is there a different look? So there, there is, as Mike is describing, has to do a lot with observing, analyzing, understanding, seeing global, that kind of thing. Let me bring this down to one single thing that you can do that will transform a situation of anxiety to a much safer environment. Look into your child's eyes and have your child look into yours. Right. I, I get choked up on this because I have 13 grandchildren, four children. Every single day that I see any of my, my spouse, my children, their spouses, my grandchildren, when we do that stop motion, I will say, look at me. Right. And we make eye contact just right. for a second. And that implants into that child's mind, you see me, I matter. I'm here, you're here. So you can analyze the facial expressions, the, the, all the body behaviors, and that's a good thing to do. But at least make eye contact directly. First thing in the morning, last thing at night, when you're ready to race off to an activity, when you look, look into your child's eyes. Not all of them one child at a time doesn't right. have to be all in sequence you have three children right. you can't get them all to look at you once but somewhere during the day do that look 
look yep. into your eyes, not yep. in judgment, not in anger, just see each other. That's incredibly yep. important. Absolutely. The third one is listen. Listen to your, listen to your son or daughter. Um, that takes, that takes time. That, that takes intentionality. That takes uh, an openness to, to setting aside your agenda and being able to hear what they're saying. Listen to their language. Listen to the, the words, the kinds of words they are using that are going to give you cues into what's happening in their life. Are they using words that are filled with are fear, anxiety, anger? Are there words that um, are happy, that they're, they're excited? Um, but that aspect of listening, because you can't do the last one, <laughs> you can't do the ask without the listening. Uh, the listening that on, on vocabulary, that's incredibly important. And here's a specific technique. Listen to the verbs that a child choose to use exactly. to express themselves. Listen to where the action words are or the state of being. And you'll find out that when a child becomes really angry and that anger is beginning to seep into everything, they will use battle words they will use conflict words. They'll use right. something just simply, they'll be talking about uh, their cereal and they'll say, I hate this cereal. I'm gonna punch this cereal. I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill this cereal. Where does that come from? Listen to the <laughs> verbs because it's a window into their heart or they'll, they'll choose words that express fear or excitement. And it's the verbs, all the rest of the words, you can analyze that. But if you listen just for the verbs they yes. choose and yourself, what verbs do you choose? Exactly. will express where they are emotionally. Exactly. And the last one is ask. May I interrupt? Yes, ma'am, you may. Then there's the time where you have the teenager who uses no words. He's silent. Part of the struggle of teenagers who use no words at all is that, is that as their bodies are growing, I, I have a lot of grace that I give to teenagers while they're growing up. There are times at which inside a teenager's mind, they're thinking, I can't say anything. I can't get the words out. And you look at that and say, are you mentally deficient? I mean, are you just rebellious? It's not about that. If a child is going from, let's say, 12 to 15, three-year period, and their body is going to grow seven or eight or nine inches, seven or eight or nine inches in three years, that's only 1,000 days. Every bone, every sinew, all their muscles, every square inch of their skin, all the nerves, all the blood vessels, they all have to grow. Can you imagine how much energy goes into growing that much body mass? And add to that 
females are going through new menstruation and their entire bodies are becoming biologically active. For young men, their bodies are flooded with hormones they've never experienced before. Their testes are dropping down. All of that takes immense energy. And when you have a child who then is confronted with an idea, there literally is not enough energy left to process what that means and come up with an appropriate response. There is literally no words to be spoken. You say, but they talk to each other. Listen to a bunch of teenagers walking along talking. It makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And they're all talking at the same time. No one's listening because that's the way their bodies are functioning right now. They'll come out of it. Give them a couple of years. You say, how can that? You can't give them a couple of years. They got to clean up their rooms right now. Stop. (laughs) Look. Look. (laughs) Listen. Listen. And then ask. But you're right. That's and there are there are times and seasons when you just simply say, I have enough grace to let you grow up without being driven into insanity because you're not where I want you to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I get that from the standpoint of Liz, of what do you do with that? It's the very same thing. Is it the response is when we're asking, is this an ask from my perspective of agenda or is this an ask to truly try to understand what's going on here? And that may take significant amount of time uh, to have those discussions because every every young man and daughter, man and woman are different. The the tough part of parenting, they don't come up with a manual. But if they did, each manual would look very different for each child. And I think what we tend to do is fall in a trap many times where we think there's one manual that we just have to kind of tweak for, you know, each kid that comes into our family. And it's, that's not true. You need a totally different manual. Now the principles, core principles of how you live within your family, I'm hoping you'll stay consistent with that, but how you work that out in and through their lives with, <laughs> with your relationship is going to be very, very different. I couldn't have more different. I mean, I have five kids and they are so different from each other uh, in how they respond to life. Mike has the same thing. Um, but that's, isn't that what you want? You want them to respond with the bent that they have of who they are to be able to contribute to society. And so, so well, one of the ultimate questions that, that we have not talked about yet is what are you trying to do as a parent in the exactly. long run? Not right. in the short run, get the soccer game, get kids to do their homework, have them not flunk class. I, I understand all that immediate stuff, but the long term, what are you really trying to do? And the way I describe the purpose of parenting, which across all the manuals is really the same. You're raising successful adults while they're children in your home. Each adult is going to be successful in very different ways. It doesn't mean they take over your business or they become a superstar, 
let that child develop the skills of living successfully as an adult. So exactly. the punishments, the rewards, schoolwork, how you learn, learning how to learn, all of those things contribute to a final goal of I want a successful adult right. to come out of my home. Right. And if I can do that, and they say success for me is fill in the blank, I respect that. Now, there are certain aspects of obedience and responsiveness and compliance, uh, health matters. You want them to be able to learn to brush your teeth and eat a balanced meal. I understand all that. But the issue is not to break their spirits so that they are ob obedient without mentality, but that right. you have shaped their unique perspectives, their skills, their talents, their identity, so that by the time they're ready to emerge from your home, be that at 18 or 28 or whenever it happens to be, they do so successfully. Right. Exactly. And you do that by stop, look, look listen, listen, and ask. And, ask. and engage in that dialogue that says, <laughs> Let me discover who you are. From the first moment my four children were born, they experienced the world very differently. If you've been given birth to a human being or were in the room when someone that you love gave birth to that human being, you will find that, that the, one of them may be heads up, eyes open, looking around. The next one may fall asleep and snuggle and be wrapped in a tight blanket for 12 more <laughs> hours. The next one screaming, angry, mad, fighting the world. The next one kind of dopey looking like, I don't even know what I'm doing here. Can I go back inside? They're going to have a totally different way of viewing the yep. world. And instead of saying, wait a minute, you're two minutes old. You're supposed to act this way. No, you discover who are you? Welcome to the world. We're on a journey together. Right. And 25 years from now, I'll be able to tell you about this moment yeah. when you are who you're becoming. Yep. That's really exciting. Oh, yeah. yeah. And that's, that's the joy. That's the true joy. When you get on the other side of that and your sons and daughters are young men and women and seeing them as they develop and become their own person we call in our family their own bear bear, which is kind of a weird, right? But that their own that what bear bear? It comes from a story thing. It's okay. <laughs> it's a West Coast thing. Don't worry about it. I guess you don't have bears up there, so you wouldn't know. <laughs> we do. We have black bears. They're terrifying. You don't either. Just like you tell me, you have mountains. You just got clouds. You don't have anything out there. Call. <laughs> But the joy of where your sons and daughters are successful in their own right and have developed their own personality and developed their own professional world of where you can look back at the very thing that Mike's saying, the, when they came out, when you develop that and you allow that to take place and you nurture that and you facilitate that and you, keep, you give them the, the guiding principles that are going to help them be successful in life. And then you see them on the other end. You just, you can't help you but smile because that is such true joy when you see that happening in them. So that fourth letter ask is really the parent discovering the child 
helping the child discover themselves. And that inquiry is an important part of a four-step process. So, uh, right. and, and what that really does, all we're doing is suggesting a variety of techniques that allow your child to have some internal skills to manage the stressors that are circulating around them. And sometimes it's they learn how to repeat the very same skills you're initiating here. They can stop. Just for a breath, they can look around and see, process mentally what they're observing. They can listen to what's going on. They begin to ask, and that becomes the full cycle. Yep, exactly. So we would like to continue uh, in our next episode uh, along the same line of parenting and thoughts. Uh, and one of the things we would like to really spend some time discussing with you is what happens when you try all this to stop, look, listen, and ask, and that doesn't work. In fact, to some degree, it's maybe even made things worse, or you have tried it and it's still not working. Um, we'd like to really take that and go with that in our next episode. That when you feel like you've made some kind of a mistake, that's maybe even a fatal flaw. You, you, you just have no idea how to, you can't go in reverse, but you're down a street that there's no way out. And we're going to talk about that. There, there really is some hope there. And, uh, and we want you to, to join us in our next episode to get some ideas about when you've gone down a one-way street or you feel like you've made a mistake, mistake that has no repair, we're going to talk about how you deal with that too. So join us. Uh, we would really love to have you back and to spend some time just investigating this thing. We, parenting, we don't have all the answers. Trust me. We, 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 have, we have kids of our own. And uh, we have learned a ton and we've made a ton of mistakes, but hopefully what we can do is to help you navigate a little bit better and to realize, as Mike said, which I think is critical, there is hope, there's ways, there are ways, and we'd like to give you some of those ideas to be able to work through that. So thanks. And some of you just thought, you don't know my situation, how bad my situation is. Yeah, we really do. And we have seen every kind of situation that human beings can find themselves in. And we still say there's hope. There is hope. So that's kind of where we're at today. And I hope this has been helpful to you as we spend some time trying to navigate kind of the worldwide craziness with dealing with all the emotions going around the COVID issues and then turning into all kinds of things that are happening within our world. So thanks for listening.